0: Anybody thinks that this corporate tax cut is going to trickle down, has a staggering ignorance.
1: <laughs> well, that's about half the country, isn't it?
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Actually, less than half. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm how I'll get down the stairs. To the left
1: meet. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in from the Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast. 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Best summarized today, I think, uh, J.R. I think his name is Gaio or Gaylot. I don't know. Former Democratic uh, Florida congressional nominee. Sort of Sort of sums up where we are at this moment in history today, Desi Doyen. Don't know if you saw this tweet, but, well, we'll see if you agree. (laughs) Okay. Flint, Michigan, still has no drinking water. Puerto Rico is still without power. California is still burning but let's pass a bill to allow concealed carry in every state, and let's give it a tax break to the millionaires and billionaires. I guess America is truly great again.
2: <laughs> well, I guess if it wasn't clear what Republicans' priorities were, maybe now it's clear to some people.
1: Oh, we'll find out. But that's sort of where we are, uh, sort of uh, summarizing uh, the, the state of the union at this moment. Bruce Bartlett. The uh, former Reagan budget advisor uh, tweeted, I think Republicans may actually be better off if their piece of blank tax giveaway fails. If it passes, their corporate overlords will have gotten everything they want or need and no longer need the GOP. If it fails, they will need the GOP in control to fight another day. I guess it remains to be seen if Bruce Bartlett is right about this. Uh, But it does look like, as of this hour at least, that giant tax cuts for the wealthy and huge corporations looks like they are going to likely pass before Christmas. Um, After they uh, threw a few dollars to Republican senators like Marco Rubio on Friday, Uh, some of those senators who were pretending that they would vote against this bill, uh, as of this afternoon, it looks even like Tennessee Republican Senator Bob Corker will be a yes vote on final passage of this combined House and Senate version of the of the tax bill even though Corker was was the one the one Senate Republican yeah you had
2: uh, no I just just, you're just not happy with Bob ahead. Corker he's, today he's I guess He's the one Senate Republican who what
1: who well who voted against this originally right.
2: And why
1: Well he was pretending to be concerned about the more than 1 trillion dollar uh, deficit that this would add
2: is going to add because you know yep. priorities
1: Yeah that uh, that last of the uh, Republican holdouts Bob Corker, the last of them, willing to pretend that they gave a damn about government spending and deficits and debt. Well, that all went away on Friday as well. So huge tax cuts for corporations and huge tax increases on the poor and middle class who will pay for all of this. Um, And in the bargain, lose billions of dollars for health care and even lose access to health care entirely since the tax bill ends the uh, Obamacare's mandate that everyone must have health insurance, which will, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, cost some 13 million Americans their health insurance.
2: And raise premiums on the rest of us. On
1: About 10 percent on everybody else. And it will also likely cut some 25 billion from Medicare almost immediately. And the Republicans know this. That's the thing. They aren't hiding it. They know and they just don't care. A few may be pretending that these tax cuts are going to pay for themselves, but they know they're lying. They know there is a second part to this gutting, this further gutting of the poor and middle class in uh, in the United States. That comes next. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, admitted as much on some wingnut radio show uh, last week.
3: you got to have economic growth, but then you've got to get entitlement reform. So we're going to have to get back next year at entitlement reform, which is how you tackle the debt and the deficit.
0: Mm, and frankly, it's the health
3: care entitlements that are the big drivers of our debt. So right. we spend more of our time on the healthcare entitlements because that's really where the, the problem lies, fiscally speaking.
2: Can I just jump in and say, sure. hey, you know that whole word that he uses, that entitlement reform, as it if somehow, you, it yo, it somehow it totally bothers, bothers yeah. me. I mean, I know it used to be the official term, but in reality, these are earned benefits. You're entitled to them because you paid for them all your working life.
1: He also talks about, you know, tackling, this this is how you tackle the debt and deficit. Well, one way you tackle the debt and deficit is you don't make the debt and deficit larger. <laughs> By
2: giving tax By cuts, giving cuts to tax the By giving tax cuts to
1: people who don't need them, to these huge corporations who are buying each other up, who are making record profits That's one way you can also avoid the debt and deficit or I guess you can take away health care and stuff from you know poor people Uh, so there you know he's just saying that out out in the open and everyone is uh, of course uh, freaking out about the passage of this tax bill as they should but You know, not yet really talking about understanding what is coming next. And there Paul Ryan said it, uh, you know, in 2018, they are coming after your health care. They are coming after your Social Security, your Medicare, your
2: Medicaid. Just like we warned you.
1: In the Senate, uh, they're admitting it as well. Paul Ryan's over in the House in the Senate. They're admitting it as well. Uh, You can hear it in this exchange about Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid between Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania just days ago.
4: Do I have your word
1: now that you, as a senator, I know you can't speak for everybody, that you, as a
3: senator, after this bill is passed, and I suspect it will be, you will not support any cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Do I have that word from you? I I am not going to support any cuts to people who are on the program and need those benefits, but I want this program to survive. I'm going to acknowledge that we we need this program for the next generation, too. He just let the cat out of the box,
1: or whatever the (laughs) phrase is. He just told you he's going to cut Social Security.
3: That's it, my friends. He will not cut it what he just said. He will not cut it with people who are on Social Security right now. I hear that. But if you are 50 years of age, or you are 55 years of age, they just told you, my friend from Pennsylvania just told you, they may go forward to raise the retirement age, they may cut your cost of living adjustment. That is what he just said. So there is a plan, and that is exactly what they intend to do.
1: That is exactly what they intend to do. That is coming next. Make no mistake about it. Yes, the cat is out of the box, (laughs) As, uh, as Bernie Sanders says. That is next. Uh, and so, listen. Even even the White House this week was finally forced to admit, uh, just a few days ago, that these giant tax cuts will, in fact, not pay for themselves, as all of these Republicans have been pretending throughout this entire process. Alice Olstein reports over at TPM that when the House and Senate passed different versions of a bill to slash the corporate tax rates and eliminate the deductions. Uh, that millions of Americans depend upon, GOP lawmakers insisted that the bill would pay for itself. And then some. It wouldn't add to the deficit. They presented no evidence, of course, to back up that claim and multiple reports, uh, one after another after another, including from government experts and outside groups, They found that instead, these bills, both the one passed originally in the House and the one passed in the Senate, would increase the federal deficit by at least one trillion dollars. The Treasury Department, however, promised that they would release an analysis ahead of the initial vote for the Senate version a week or so ago. But that never came out. That was nowhere to be seen. And then some whistleblowers at the department of Treasury told the New York Times that they were never even instructed to crunch those numbers at all. The White House never even intended to show that this would all pay for itself because they knew that it wouldn't. Last Monday, after the department's inspector general opened an investigation into the whereabouts of this promised analysis from the from the Treasury Department and whether Trump's Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin was attempting to mislead the public about the impact of the tax plan. The Treasury Department quietly released uh, this analysis. It wasn't the one that they had promised that would be coming. It was simply a a one-page document. And this little analysis, basically, because they didn't want to get in trouble from the IG, this little analysis is basically... Uh, In agreement with other respected assessments of what the tax cuts will actually do to the uh, to the deficit, absent some form of magical economic growth. It will reduce tax revenue by one trillion dollars. They admitted it. The Treasury admitted it in this little one page document that they quietly put out. But that analysis accepts as a given that the White House's projection for 2.9 percent economic growth over 10 years uh, would would take that one trillion dollar addition to the deficit and turn it into a three hundred dollar I'm sorry, three hundred billion dollar net gain in government revenue. This rosy scenario that year after year we're going to have 2.9% economic growth. That's how they're pretending that they get to this $300 billion gain in government revenue. But that's not all. It's not just that, uh, that pretend growth that they're saying is going to happen. They concede that the tax cuts alone will not spur that growth. Instead, the report says that the tax cuts, quote, as well as from a combination of regulatory reform, infrastructure development, and, yes, welfare reform. Mm -hmm. Those are those entitlements you're talking about, Um, as proposed, and, and it's even worse than this, as proposed in the administration's fiscal year 2018 budget, that if those are included, that'll do the trick. That'll turn this $1 trillion deficit somehow into a $300 billion surplus. But exactly what those reforms would entail, that is not described uh, in this one single page document. But the reference to the 2018 budget to Trump's 2018 budget, Olstein notes, is telling that budget, which even Republicans had staunchly opposed, would have gutted the State Department, the public schools, the Coast Guard, nearly every single federal agency and program that helps low income people. Now this spring, when the Trump administration put that out, uh, it was just rejected pretty much as dead in the water. The GOP-controlled Congress ignored it pretty much completely. It was dead then. It's still dead now. And instead, they at the time they passed a temporary spending plan that maintained uh, and in several levels, uh, several areas actually increased the level of funding for uh, for programs that Trump had wanted to cut in that budget. So essentially, Treasury is saying that, the, uh, that these corporate tax cuts plus a budget that Congress will never, ever actually pass, one that, for example, defunds Meals on Wheels, that if they only do that, then the government will somehow save money in the long run with, these, with this tax cut that, you know, pays for itself. That's how far into wonderland we now are in this country. Or perhaps I should say that's how far Republicans are into Wonderland. It doesn't look like the American people overall are actually buying it. More on that in a second. Uh, One more point on this uh, report from Treasury. The new Treasury report also uses economic growth estimates, that 2.9 percent economic growth that the White House had put out before the tax bill was even drafted. They were and are estimating this 2.9% growth every single year for the next 10 years. What could possibly go wrong? And while the nonpartisan uh, but GOP-led Congressional Budget Office, uh, they look at these numbers more realistically because they have to, uh, and they say that 1.9% growth is much more realistic. So this is just wonderland stuff. But it looks like the GOP is ready to head down this rabbit hole and to pass this tax scam on the American people, barring, uh, I don't know, I don't know what will stop it at this point, if anything. It looks like this is going to happen, barring, you know, perhaps more public outrage. Uh, Maybe Susan Collins and a couple of other colleagues will come to their senses Um, You know, there's there's questions right now about the health of uh, a couple of senators, uh, Thad Cochran and uh, John McCain. Hope, you know, hopefully that is not what uh, keeps this thing from passing. But um, this is where we're going. So as Bruce Bartlett said, this may not be good for Republicans because, in fact, their giant donors won't need them anymore. They will have recouped the uh, the investment in the purchased republican government. So maybe there's maybe there's an upside from all of this. And the American people seem to be getting all of this. They seem to be understanding all of this uh bigly as Donald Trump might say. Uh Americans remain unconvinced that this measure will cut their own taxes or significantly boost the economy in any way. The American people are getting this a new USA today Suffolk university poll finds that just 32 percent, 32 percent of the American people support this GOP tax plan. Forty eight percent oppose it. They note that that is the lowest level of public support for any major piece of legislation enacted in the past three decades, including, by the way, the Affordable Care Act back in 2009. Even though even after the job that the Republicans did on Obamacare, which is now quite popular, But even after the job they did at the time, which drove its approval rating down, uh, even that at the time had more approval than this tax scam does. 32 percent, according to this new poll. Most unpopular major piece of legislation in, in the past three decades, but that may only be as far back as this polling goes. It may be the uh, least popular piece of legislate, major legislation ever put forward.
2: But unlike the Republicans, you're going with verified statistics.
1: A 53% majority of those who were surveyed predicted their families won't pay lower taxes as a result of the measure. An equal 53% say it will not help the uh, the economy in a major way. And I guess Republicans are really hoping that those people are just absolutely wrong. Those people are absolutely uninformed, listening to fake news like the Bradcast, I guess, <laughs> uh, to believe such a thing. The findings underscore the risk for Republicans, even as they move toward achieving one of the party's top policy priorities and delivering the first major piece of legislation uh, of the Trump administration. Christopher Warshaw, a political scientist at the George Washington University, cautions that passage of the bill will make it more likely the Democrats win control of the U.S. House. In next year's midterm elections, he says in recent decades, Congress has never passed a bill, passed a major bill that is this unpopular. Warshaw said, I think that passing this bill will substantially hurt the GOP brand, particularly among moderate, well-educated suburban voters and among the working class uh, white voters who had switched over to support Trump in 2016. He said, I think this will cost Republican members of Congress votes in the midterms and it may hurt Trump in 2020. 2020? He's still going to be... Anyway, uh, he he went on to say it makes it very hard for Trump or the GOP to claim that they have a populist agenda. You know, (laughs) the one they were pretending to have back in 2016.
2: And that the corporate media Mm -hmm. let them pretend to have.
1: Yep. Republican voters, uh, however, appear to be enthusiastic about this as of now. In the survey, they backed the tax bill by an overwhelming 71 to 12 percent. So 71% of Republican voters uh, think that this is going to help them. Two-thirds of Republicans predict their own taxes will be cut. Nearly three-fourths say that the bill will significantly boost the nation's economy. Haven Gillespie, 37-year-old sales representative from Jamestown, New York, she's one of them. uh, She hears uh, conflicting reports on the impact of the bill. She says, I don't know exactly what's in it. But uh, Trump is promising it's going to help working families, so I'm relying on that.
2: Oh, boy. Buckle (laughs) up, honey.
1: (laughs) Overall, just 35% believe that the bill will actually boost the economy, and 31% that their own families' tax bills will be lowered as a result. So those incredibly low numbers, 35%, uh, 31%, That's even with that huge number of duped Republicans who think the exact opposite, who think this is going to help. So that just gives you an idea how wildly unpopular this actually is amongst moderates, amongst Democrats, amongst independents. Nearly two thirds, 64 percent, say the wealthy will get the most benefit out of this. And just 17 percent say that the middle class will. Republican strategist Steve Schmidt on Thursday, and and he's not is shouldn't he soon be calling himself former Republican strategist Steve <laughs> Schmidt at this point? He was he was John McCain's campaign chief when McCain ran for president in two thousand and eight against Barack Obama. It's incredible to me that John McCain would actually vote for this at this point, but mm, well, uh, in any event, uh, Schmidt. McCain's uh, old uh, campaign chief blasted his own party for pushing this tax scam that he said would do little to help the working class while providing huge cuts for the wealthy and large corporations. During a conversation about the uh, tax plan on MSNBC with host Stephanie Ruhle, she had noted that the White House had promised for 168 days to give her an interview on tax reform. I guess that was back when they were saying they were going to bring out this analysis, too, that they never brought out other than this one-page piece of nonsense. Um, Rule said there are corporations that are almost embarrassed about all of this, saying, man, we didn't ask for a gift this big. Schmidt pointed out the uh, dismal approval ratings for the GOP tax plan and uh had some choice words for those who buy into it.
0: First off, let's look at the politics of this. This has an approval rating in the mid-20s. Generally speaking, in politics, when you're heading into an election, the things that you pass, you want them to be popular. You want that number to be close to 50%. If you look at the battleground for control of the Congress, There are Republican seats in the state of New York, Republican seats in the state of California. This is going to make it more difficult for Republicans to hold those seats because in those states, this is a tax increase, not a tax cut. And and last point about this, the fundamental economic problem in the country is a lack of real wage growth for middle income workers, period, full stop. It's such a problem, it's destabilizing our politics because it's a problem that's been building for a generation. This does nothing to deal with that. It doesn't drive growth for that part of the population. And anybody who thinks that this corporate tax cut is going to trickle down to lift wages has a staggering ignorance of how public companies function.
1: Hey, uh, Steve Schmidt. You call them staggeringly ignorant. I call them GOP voters <laughs> at this point, or at least voters who used to vote for uh, Republicans. We'll, you know, we'll we'll see how that holds up as this uh, nightmare continues to devolve, uh, as all of these experts are noting, and as uh, you know, b- the the plain numbers can show you. This is not going to this does not seem in any event like it's going to work out well for Republicans. You have to wonder what the hell they are thinking, why the hell they are doing this, why they are moving forward with forward with this. Now, I know that's good news for uh, Democrats out there looking at, you know, eyeing the U.S. House, thinking they are going to win it back and maybe they will. But, you know, as we talked about a few days ago after the Doug Jones, uh, the election of Doug Jones over Roy Moore in Alabama, uh, where Doug Jones got the the, the majority of the votes across the state, had had that exact same election the Democrats were so happy about, had that same election uh, been for the U.S. House in the various districts of what is it? I think seven. uh, I think they have seven uh, U.S. House seats across Alabama. Had those voters voted the same way. Democrats would have walked away with one House seat And the Republicans would have held seven House seats, exactly the same uh, lineup that they have in the U.S. House right now because the districts are so gerrymandered.
2: And it's like that in so many of these Republican-controlled states where even when Democrats get the majority of votes, they don't win the majority of seats, either in Congress or in their state legislatures because of gerrymandering.
1: That said, there are uh, a lot of uh, uh, political experts out there who are looking at this case by case, seat by seat. Uh, and saying that Democrats are likely to have huge gains uh, by November of next year. We will find out, I guess, one way or another, you know, if nothing radically changes between here and there. Uh, So a lot of Democrats are looking at this passage of this tax cut, if it goes through, as ultimately being good politically. The question is how many people are going to be hurt uh, in the bargain? So uh, we will see. As I said, as the uh, as the nightmares continue to devolve, and uh, oh, the nightmare continues. After a quick break here on the broadcast, I had some good news that I've been trying to get to all week, but that good news is looking a little bit less good today. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you.
3: Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done Maybe
1: Lay your weary head to
2: Don't you cry no more Welcome
1: back to your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Uh, ...with the delightful and occasionally very well-informed Desi (laughs) Doyen at my side... ...and uh, I'm trying to catch up with uh, a a number of items that I had been uh, hoping to get to all week. This is uh, one of them. Well, this uh, tweet from Mike Stark, who works now for... uh, He covers Capitol Hill, I think for Blue... uh, Share Share Blue Blue now at this point. He had a great tweet. He said, uh, My son just had a Nerf gun birthday party. At the end, I asked the boys who won the war... He said, uh, they all said, nobody. I realized that play imitates life. At the end of their war, everyone was exhausted, and the only clear winner was the weapons manufacturer.
2: Oh, that's a good one.
1: Uh, yeah, that's good. And uh, it's a way of, uh, well, working our way towards this story. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Tuesday softened America's stance on possible talks with North Korea, calling it, quote, unrealistic to expect the nuclear-armed country to come to the table to give up a weapons of mass destruction program that it invested so much in developing. Tillerson said his boss, President Donald Trump, endorses this position. This was, again, on Tuesday. Tillerson's remarks came... Two weeks after North Korea had conducted a test with a missile that could potentially carry a nuclear warhead to the eastern U.S. seaboard, to the east coast, not to the west coast, but all the way to Washington, D.C., if they wanted to. That, of course, is a milestone in the nation, in the country's uh, decades long drive to pose an atomic threat to its American adversary that Trump has vowed to prevent. Using military force if necessary, Tillerson said at the Atlantic Council think tank, according to Associated Press, that we are ready to talk anytime to North Korea. Anytime they would like to talk and we are ready to have the first meeting without preconditions. That's good news. That's very good news. I was very happy to hear that from Rex Tillerson. He said that the North would need to hold off on its weapons testing. All right. So that's a bit of a precondition. But uh, in general, uh, this year, the North has conducted more than 20 ballistic missile launches and one nuclear test explosion. It's most powerful yet. But uh, Tillerson uh, said on Tuesday, let's just meet and we can talk about the weather if you want. We can talk about whether it's a square table or a round table, if that's what you're excited about. But can we at least sit down and see each other face to face and then we can begin to lay out a map, a roadmap of what we might be willing to work towards? That is very good news coming from this administration. Tillerson said the goal of U.S. policy remained Denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, but added that it was not realistic to say we're only going to talk if you come to the table ready to give up your program. They've invested too much in it, he said. The president is very realistic. Talking about Trump, the president is very realistic about that as well. All good news. Especially since you remember in October, Trump had appeared to undercut Tillerson when he said that he was uh, when when Trump had tweeted that Tillerson was wasting his time trying to negotiate with North Korea. Just as Tillerson was saying that uh, the U.S. had uh, developed back channel communications with the North, Trump, who has also traded insults with Kim, kept up his tough talk on the same day that Tillerson was making these remarks as he had signed a $700 billion defense authorization bill, yes, we have $700 billion that we can authorize year after year after year, even while Paul Ryan is saying, "Well, to do, we got to do something about the deficit. We, we got to take away health care from old people and poor people." Uh, anyway, Trump was, uh, but I digress. Trump was <laughs> signing that $700 uh, billion defense authorization bill. Uh, for additional spending on missile defense. And uh, he referred to North Korea at the time as a vile dictatorship. At the very same day, the very same time that Rex Tillerson was trying to get him to the table and saying, we'll meet you without preconditions. In any case, let's keep our eyes on the, uh, on the bright side here. Daryl Kimball, the executive director of the Arms Control Association, said that Tillerson's proposal for direct talks with North Korea without preconditions, was long overdue and a welcome shift in position, but both sides need to demonstrate demonstrate restraint for us to get there. He said for North Korea, that means a halt to all nuclear and ballistic missile tests. And for the U.S., refraining from military maneuvers and overflights that appear to be practice runs for an attack on North Korea. Kimball said that if such restraint is not forthcoming, we can expect a further escalation of tensions and a growth risk of a catastrophic war. Last week, in fact, the U.S. flew B-1B supersonic bombers over South Korea as part of a massive combined aerial exercise involving more than 200 warplanes. North Korea uh, sees such drills as preparation for an invasion. And understandably so. Imagine if we had 200 warplanes from another country flying just across our border in Canada or Mexico or in the ocean. Imagine how we would respond. So we need to do something as well to get there. But as of Tuesday, in any event, it looked like very good news uh, that Rex Tillerson was taking the lead, that uh, Donald Trump agreed with him that this is the best way to move forward that his his rhetoric about fire and fury like the world has never seen was not working, was causing more and more tests and bigger and worse tests uh, by North Korea. So it looked like there was some good news. Well, sorry, and that good news uh, appears to be over. Uh, America's top diplomat, according to AP, stepped back on Friday from his offer of unconditional talks with North Korea, telling world powers that the uh, nuclear-armed nation must earn the right to negotiate with the U.S. Tillerson, uh, his uh, declaration was before the uh, U.N. Security Council and marked a stunning reversal after he had proposed discussions with Pyongyang without preconditions just days earlier. That overture was almost immediately rebutted by the White House officials. Still, Tillerson had planned... On Friday, to reiterate his call at this special UN ministerial meeting on North Korea at the Security Council on Friday morning, his prepared remarks had suggested only that North Korea would have to undertake a sustained halt in its threatening behavior before those talks could begin. Essentially what he had said on Tuesday. But then somehow the script appears to have changed. The prepared remarks are not what Tillerson ended up saying. He said North Korea must earn its way back to the table. The pressure campaign must and will continue until denuclearization is achieved, adding that we will in the meantime keep our channels of communication open. So he changed it and said, basically, we're not going to talk to you until you denuclearize, until you get rid of your nuclear weapons. This debate over offering North Korea unconditional talks reflects the differences within the Trump administration as it runs out of time to prevent North Korea from perfecting a nuclear-tipped missile that can strike the U.S. mainland. Donald Trump has vowed to prevent such capability with military action, if necessary. Asked on Friday if he supported the unconditional talks that uh, Tillerson had discussed earlier in the week, Trump would not directly answer he said, well, we're going to see what happens with North Korea. We have a lot of support. There are a lot of nations that agree with us. Almost everybody, Trump told reporters.
2: <laughs> that's not that's, true. Well, what?
1: <laughs> D- not, uh, Donald Trump saying something that's not exactly true? In any event, uh, Tillerson said at the, uh, at the U.N. meeting that the U.S. does not want war, but will, quote, use all necessary measures to defend itself against North Korean aggression. He said, our hope remains that diplomacy will produce a resolution, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Some great diplomacy here. A very not at all confusing message that is being put out by the United States. Tillerson's tone was significantly different than the tone he struck three days earlier, says AP. Geez, I wonder who got to him between now and then, between then and now. White House quickly distanced itself from Tillerson's earlier remarks. Uh, the day after Tillerson had made those, on Wednesday, a National Security Council spokesman said that uh, North Korea must not only refrain from provocations but take, quote, sincere and meaningful actions toward denuclearization.
2: In other words, preemptive disarmament.
1: Take away the things that they are doing to
2: protect themselves uh, to
1: protect themselves to get them to this point uh, d- at the table anyway. Yeah. The spokesperson uh, was not authorized to be quoted by name, so it's an anonymous source that the AP was reporting on. Uh, but this source said that uh, given North Korea's most recent missile test, now is not the time for talks. So that's where we are. We had some hope. We had a glimmer of hope. That hope, uh, at least as of Friday, was was gone and no real good explanation for why that happened. We that, Well, the explanation is obvious. We have... An administration who does not know what the hell they are doing, that is making it up as they as they go forward. I remember Trump was uh, Trump was the one who told us over and over that he hires only the best people. Well, in in Rex Tillerson, for what it's worth, he seems to be a guy who has been trying to do the right thing, uh, at least when it comes to North Korea. At least a little bit.
2: Yeah, but if there's and, a predetermined yeah. outcome that is being pushed by some people by somebody, in, the, in the in the Trump administration, I mean, it reminds me of the run-up to the Iraq War, the predetermined outcome that the Bush administration was looking for. What
1: did Mike Stark say about his son's uh, birthday party and the Nerf gun birthday party, that uh, at the end everyone was exhausted, the only clear winner was the weapons manufacturer? Mm-hmm. Well, the corporations may about to be get what uh, may uh, be about to get what they want when it comes to uh, the 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 tax cuts, these huge tax cuts. But uh, well, the weapons manufacturers have not yet received their gift of another new war. So maybe that's in the offing.
2: Well, and you know, wartime presidents do very well in uh, elections.
1: Well, there's that. We'll see how well it goes if that actually happens. All right. Uh, this year is not yet over. I want to get to this uh, because this is mind-blowing again um, on a different but related-ish topic. Uh, the year's not over yet, uh, so this number still could rise before the Senate ends its session for the year. But while Trump and the Republicans have to date failed to pass any major legislation since taking control of the White House and the Senate and the U.S. uh, House of Representatives all at the same time. They have had one huge, undeniable, we will call it, success. Trump has now appointed uh, the most ever federal appeals judges in the first year of a presidency, ever. According to Axios, uh, on Thursday, Senate Republicans confirmed Donald Trump's 12th, federal appeals court nominees setting a record for the most circuit court picks confirmed ever in a president's first year. Of course, the federal courts carry significant weight in almost every area of policy, Axios notes, correctly notes, gun rights, executive power, LGBT rights, uh, freedom of religion, etc., And uh, many of those federal courts have indeed blocked multiple Trump initiatives in his first year. As a matter of fact, just uh, haven't got to read the story yet, but I just saw a few minutes ago that um, one of the federal courts has blocked Trump's birth control orders, whatever those are, whatever that executive order is. So the federal courts are very, very important. And Donald Trump has had a lot of success there in getting his people uh, into position. Uh, after many of those courts have blocked his initiatives over this past year. Trump's pick of young, so-called conservative judges for these lifetime appointments will far outlast his presidency. And while it's a record, it's not uh, completely unusual. He got 12, uh, but uh, Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy both successfully appointed 11 appeals court judges in their first year. Of course, I think uh, they both did it under Democratic uh, majority Senates, for, but the, the, and that was a while ago. Uh, in more recent times, former uh, President Barack Obama was successfully able to appoint only three appeals court judges in his first year in office in 2009, uh, along with Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. But it was uh, just three is all that he was able to get in as Republicans held up choices, held up his nominations uh, to these federal uh, bench uh, slots for years and years and years. His uh, predecessor, George W. Bush, got twice as many in his first year as Obama did because, you know, Democrats don't play the same kind of hardball. Uh, George W. Bush got six confirmed in that first year. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has spearheaded this effort to pack the the courts with far right-wing Republicans, uh, said that Republicans were having a historic week. But Dianne Feinstein, ranking Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, lambasted Republicans, saying that the the speed at which these judges are being rammed through the process is stunning. Of course, now that there is uh, no more Senate filibuster allowed for any federal judges, McConnell killed the last of that when he couldn't get Neil Gorsuch seated on the stolen Supreme Court without removing the Democrats' right to a filibuster that had been in place for decades. So now that they've done away with that, Republicans are ramming through these folks at lightning speed based on lists that have been given to them by the far right-wing Federalist Society. By and large, qualifications for these people hasn't actually mattered, even though this is for lifetime appointments that will, as Axios said, far outlast uh, Trump's term in office. But things got so bad with two recent nominees that though one of them was confirmed by the Senate Judiciary Committee on straight-party lines, uh, uh, two of them this week, over the past week, withdrew their nominations, as we discussed on our previous show, because they wouldn't have been able to survive a full vote of the U.S. Senate. One was facing problems after comments... Uh, describing transgender youth as part of Satan's plan, calling the 2015 Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage disgusting, said that it could spur uh, polygamy or bestiality. That guy has pulled out. The other... Had never tried a case in his life, either either as a litigator or as a judge. He had been a little more than a far right wing blogger in truth, and he failed to disclose that he was actually married to the White House Counsel's chief of staff, failed to disclose that he had tons of online comments, uh, you know, claiming things like his solution to the Sandy Hook shooting massacre would be to, quote, stop being a society of pansies and man up. He defended the KKK. He also received a rare unanimous unqualified rating for the American Bar Association. But he was approved by the Senate Judiciary Committee anyway, before he was finally forced to withdraw his nomination uh, a few days ago.
2: By the Republicans on a party line vote in the Senate Judiciary Committee. That he was approved. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, But those two aren't the only federal judge nominees for lifetime appointments under Trump that are wildly unqualified. That, despite Trump, as I said, telling us over and over again on the campaign trail that he hires only the very best people. And, you know, he's in favor of extreme vetting, except for er anyone in his own administration, apparently, or his own appointees to the federal bench. Uh, (laughs) Over the past week, in uh, in their rush to get through as many of these uh, the people as they possibly can through the Senate, the Republican-run Senate Judiciary Committee held confirmation hearings on five nominees at the same time. They're just shoveling them on through. And for one of them, things did not go very well. And uh, that is maybe an insane understatement of how well they did not go. Uh, during questioning by Louisiana's Republican Senator John Kennedy, Uh, One of these appointees to a lifetime seat on a U.S. district court uh, struggled to answer the most basic questions about law during his Senate confirmation hearing on Thursday. John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, asked a panel of Trump's judicial nominees to indicate if, if they had never tried a case... to a a verdict in the courtroom, to please raise their hand. Well, Matthew Spencer Peterson, a nominee for the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, U.S. District Court for D.C., a very important court, he raised his hand. Peterson, who has never tried a case, much less heard one as a judge, formerly served on the Federal Election Commission and as Republican Chief Counsel to the U.S. Senate Committee on Rules and Administration. But as far as hearing a case... Uh, not in his life. Here's, uh, here's a, a short segment from this uh, remarkable exchange.
3: Have you ever tried a jury trial? I have not. Civil? No. Criminal? No. Bench? No. State or federal court? I have not. Okay. Have you ever taken a deposition?
4: I was involved in taking depositions when I was associate uh, mm-hmm. at Wiley Ryan when I uh, first came out of law school. Um, but that that was
3: uh, have you ever. How many, how many depositions?
4: I would um, I'd be struggling to <laughs> to, to remember. Uh, less, less
3: than 10. Yes. Less than five. Probably somewhere. <laughs> in the have you ever tried to take in a a deposition by yourself? Uh, I believe no. Okay. Oh my. Uh, have you ever argued a motion in state court? I have not. Have you ever argued a motion in federal court? No. When's the last time you read the federal rules of evidence? Jesus.
4: The federal rules of evidence all the way through would... Um, yeah. Well, uh, comprehensively would have been in, in law school.
3: Well, as a trial judge, you're obviously going to have witnesses. Yes. Can you tell me what the uh, Daubert standard is?
4: Uh, Senator Kennedy, I, I don't have that uh, readily uh, at my disposal. Uh, but I would be happy to take a, a closer look at that.
1: That's just one piece. This thing went on for five minutes, asking if, uh, but do, do you know what the younger abstention doctrine is? Do you know what the Pullman extension? Do you know what a motion in lim- I mean, they went on and on and on, and the guy knew nothing, and he has been appointed to the federal bench for a lifetime appointment, who will decide. All of the issues decide all of these things that uh, we discuss every day on this show. These life or death matters. And he has absolutely no clue what he is doing there. I can't believe I was not nominated for a lifetime (laughs) role on the federal bench by Donald Trump because I appear to know more about the law. Than these people who are being uh, unqualified, uh, found found to be unqualified by the American Bar Association. And yet they're uh, it's moving forward anyway. Anyway, hopefully uh, John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, will put a stop to this nonsense, uh, at least for some of these judges. But just amazing. All right. Quick break. And we're back with uh, we got to find something uh, something cheery in here to uh, to leave you with today. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
3: Gather round, folks, you'll hear a song, the song of a candidate man. A man who rode across the land, touching teens with his hands. He had a horse, he had a hat, had some very odd views. A leather vest, a tiny
1: gun, an attorney who was a Jew. This is the legend
3: of Roy Moore. So in the end, the people knew Roy was no Southern gent. They rushed to the polls and rejected him by 1.5%. Said Putin was right, said Darwin was wrong, said many things that were vile. And I think it bears repeating he was an alleged pedophile. This is the legend
4: of Roy Moore.
2: The medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Oh, thank
1: you. Thank you very much, Joy. Uh, we needed that. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Uh, yes, trying to find uh, some spoonful of sugar amidst all of this. And um, uh, certainly the way uh, voters stood up in Alabama last Tuesday. Was exactly that. And many of them had to go th- through some extraordinary measures to be able to cast their vote. And frankly, the fact that Doug Jones appears to have been the winner there on Tuesday masks the fact that uh, so many were actually disenfranchised, um, had uh, difficulty trying to get their vote cast. We'll see how many votes actually get Counted from these provisional ballots uh, when people went to the polls and found themselves for some reason to be uh, invalid, marked as invalid on the voter registration rolls. Um, uh, So we will see. And there are also, by the way, hundreds of thousands who have the right to vote in Alabama who don't even know they have the right to vote because they... They made a change in the law. They were sort of forced to do it, to make a change in the law that uh, made at least some of the former felons, people who had served their time uh, as felons for even you know minor felony charges decades ago, who have not been able to vote in the state of Alabama. There was a, a change in the law that they were sort of forced to make, but then they didn't tell anyone about that. So uh, a lot of uh, voters who probably could have voted, but who thought they could not uh, lost their chance to vote in uh, on Tuesday. So I hope that does not get completely lost amidst all of this. But, uh, some people appear to be, um, uh, interested in disenfranchising themselves, I guess, for people who don't have to worry about uh, losing their vote. Folks like the Trump family, according to the uh, New York Daily News, um, they wrote a uh, good thing last month's mayoral election in New York wasn't close because if New Yorkers had needed the Trump family to decide the outcome, they would have been out of luck. President Trump and his family of New Yorkers were not in the Big Apple on November 7 when this uh, mayoral race went uh, went forward and voters went to the polls. So they voted by absentee ballot, I guess, from Washington, D.C., or at least they tried to. None of them None of them appear to have been able to do so successfully. Officials at the city's board of elections said that the president signed and dated an absentee ballot along with an application on October 19, checking a box that said he would be absent from the city on Election Day. Uh, He's the one who got the closest, by the way. Trump got the closest to actually getting his vote somehow cast, Donald Trump. Uh, But all right, wait for that. We'll get to that in a second. First Lady Melania Trump. uh, She did the same. She filled out an absentee ballot form submitting a handwritten form that everything apparently had everything in capital letters for whatever reason. Don't know. But the uh, first lady, she forgot to sign the envelope that she put her ballot in as required by the Board of Elections. So her vote was not counted because she didn't sign it. Couldn't follow the instructions to sign it. Board of Election officials told the New York Daily News that if any of the information is missing, then the ballot is invalid. So uh, First Lady Melania Trump, her ballot did not count. The directions uh, tell voters to sign the envelope, which she did not. Trump's daughter, uh, the the smart one, Ivanka, apparently she also botched her ballot. It, It was filled out correctly. Apparently she did sign it. Uh, but she didn't mail it until Election Day, which is too late to be counted in the uh, in the city of New York, in the state of New York. Her husband, Jared Kushner, uh, he failed as well. He simply didn't mail back his ballot to the uh, to the board. So Melania's Trump's no good. Uh, Melania's votes no good. Uh, Ivanka's Trump's no good. Jared didn't bother to send his back. The uh, the president's ballot apparently was fine, but. That was before the Daily News pointed out to an official that the date of birth on his application was actually off by a full month. What? Yeah.
2: He got his own birthday He got
1: his own birthday wrong. Although, if you look at the ballot, I don't think he got it wrong because that part was typed. His uh, birth date was filled in by somebody who had typed it in. So I'm going to guess, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that somebody else got his birth date wrong rather than him. Trump was uh, who's 71 years old. He was born on June 14, 1946, but his ballot application lists his birthday as July. Whether his vote was counted or not, I know that uh, something like that would have been challenged by Republicans if it had been a close election. Uh, they would have argued that, well, this was filled out incorrectly, so it's invalid.
2: Toss it out.
1: Yeah. But uh, so anyway, uh, Trump family seems to be doing a great job of disenfranchising themselves. No wonder they don't mind disenfranchising everyone else. Um, But here's some a little a little bit a little bit more sugar here as we head (laughs) out uh, for for Democrats. Uh, President Trump's job approval rating has now sunk to a record low 32 percent in the latest Monmouth University poll. Uh, The lowest approval rating for Trump in this poll since taking office in January. Over the past year, his approval rating in this poll has uh, has actually been pretty good compared to some of the other polls out there. It's ranged from 39 to 43 percent, but it has now plummeted to 32 percent. The biggest drop comes from women. Way to go, women. Twenty four percent, just 24 percent of women in the U.S. say they approve of uh, Donald Trump's job performance. That compared with uh, just 36 percent who approved in September. So that's a 12-point drop since September among women.
2: That's a pretty big drop.
1: Patrick Murray, uh, you think? Uh, The director of the Monmouth University poll said uh, that this result is not good for the president, especially coming off the loss of his endorsed candidate, In the Alabama Senate race, Republicans have to be worried about being dragged down by the weight of Trump's negatives in 2018 if this trend continues. Uh, And it appears to be continuing in other polling as well. The uh, USA Today Suffolk poll that we cited earlier in regard to the tax cuts, well, they don't find uh, Trump to be any more popular He now has a favorable rating of just 34 percent in that poll and a net negative of 24 percentage points, 24 percent, 24 points underwater. And his uh, standing has just gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. And here's another interesting point. Vice President Mike Pence, he's only viewed favorably by 33 percent. Uh, his, uh, his his net negative there is not quite as bad. It's only 12 points, but he was uh, viewed favorably by a net positive 12 points near the beginning of the year, now a net negative of 12 points. And the Republican Party is doing dismally. They have a net negative of 37 points. Their favorable rating is just 24%, and I can't imagine it's going to get much better. Once this uh, tax scam actually passes, but we will see. All right. We got to get out. Uh, My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as always, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free. Going back years and years at Bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. To help us stay on the air uh, as long as we can, your support right now is critical. Uh, for those of you who have jumped in and signed up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like, thank you for doing that at bradblog.com donate to help us keep going as long as we can. All right. Uh, I think, is that it? Oh, find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's all. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: For a spoonful of sugar
4: helps the medicine go down. The medicine go down. Medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way.